Take your Bibles and, and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Brother Jesse is on vacation, but we will continue um, our way through what he has entitled and I think what he has shown us over the past few weeks to be the best sermon ever. Um, with this particular passage of Scripture, uh, we are kind of entering into new territory, um, so I'll do my best to, to explain it, uh, and we will uh, walk through it the best we can. Um, let me start by saying this. I'll, I'll tell a bit of a story here, and this story could take place, I think, just about on any day of the week. This is a story about me, about traffic, and about all the other people and all the other cars. Now, it won't take you long to figure out who the hero of this story is and who the villain is. It's all the other people. Um, for some reason, I cannot stand to be in traffic. And I actually wrote this message about a week and a half ago. And Jess and I had uh, some issues with this same thing yesterday. So uh, for some reason, it's just it's just one of those things. I can't stand it. I cannot stand being around bad drivers. Now, for me, a bad driver can be several things. Somebody's on their phone, and they're going like 20 below the speed limit, just kind of putting along. Someone who doesn't use a blinker to get over, that's just awful. Uh, someone who cuts you off and then looks at you like somehow it's your fault is probably the worst. Uh, there are a lot of people that I consider to be bad drivers. Now, how do I react when I'm around these bad drivers? Usually, as Jess can testify, especially yesterday, not the way that I should. I don't respond in the way that I should instantly. Uh, I am judging the drivers around me to determine are they good or are they bad. And it's my standard that I'm using. And like I said, Jess has been in the passenger seat for several of my can you believe this idiot or what are they trying to do rants. Now, when I do this, though, when I do this, it's, it's, it's strange because I, I bet, I bet at some point, at some point, I have probably done one of these things. I've been on my phone. I probably not use my blinker. I probably cut somebody off. Yet, at, whenever I do it, it's okay. It was necessary. It's somehow excusable. But when they do it, it's just the worst thing that could happen. Why do I do that? Why do I judge others more harshly than I judge myself? Why am I willing to excuse my own behavior? I'll ask the question this way. Why do we do that? Not just talking about traffic anymore and a lot of different aspects of life. Why do we judge others' sins so harshly yet excuse our own? I think... This text in particular has a lot to say about why we are so quick to do that. While we overlook our own shortcomings, while we deal so harshly with others, and how that is so contrary to what Scripture commands of us. So in this text today, we're going to hopefully answer some of those questions on why we do that. And I think if we're honest with ourselves when we ask those questions, if we are honest with ourselves when we get the answers that we get from this text, 
uh, and what this text has to say about our relationships. I think if we're willing to be honest in both the examination and the answers that we get from this text, it could do a lot to inform our relationships with one another. Not only in this place, but our relationships with one another outside of this place. So we're going to take a look at this portion of Scripture this morning. Like I said, it's Matthew chapter 7. We're going to deal with the first six verses. So if you all uh, would like to stand in honor and reverence of the Word of God. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You can be seated. Trust that God will honor the reading of His Word. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we... uh, Admit to you now, dear Lord, that we need your help in understanding this scripture. We need your help in understanding the truth behind it, and we need your help in applying that truth to our lives, dear God. So we pray now that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, dear God, so that we would be attentive and listen to what you have for us, what you're calling us to do, dear God. Any resistance to this truth, any unwillingness to change, to... uh, not listen to the truth that's in your word today, dear God. We pray that you would uh, get rid of it, that you would um, allow us, make us willing, mold our hearts so that we are uh, willing to do what you've called us to do, dear God. Help me as I preach, dear God. Uh, confess now, dear God, that this is a task that uh, is, is too much for me, dear God. I need your help uh, in, in, in preaching, dear God, but even more than that, I need you uh, to, to take over the results, dear God, to do what you've got to do among your people, dear God. Help me to proclaim, and dear God, uh, then do a work in your people. All these things I ask in your son's name. Amen. So over the past couple of weeks, we have seen uh, Jesus has been instructing his audience in a couple of different areas. Uh, he has dealt a bit more over the past couple of weeks with what I would say are personal spiritual attitudes, personal spiritual matters. So you're you're getting into a bit of um, here with this passage, what what I call interpersonal or just really attitudes or relationships that have to do with other people. So he's kind of hit on those personal things. And you think of the personal things, you think of what he's just covered, anxiety over material goods. He's talked about um, trusting him with possessions. He's talked about how to fast, how to pray. All of those things that are more personal to us, um, all of those areas of our lives that are just between ourselves and him, he's hit on those and now we come to this part of Scripture and he's talking about our relationships with other people. Now, we have seen God uh, in Jesus comment on just about every aspect of life. 
He's commented on personal lives. He's commented on our lives as an example in this world. He's he's commented on Scripture, our response to it, our lives in respect to, as I said earlier, giving, prayer, fasting, anxiety over material things. All of these areas God has instructed us on, and now He instructs us on how to live with one another. And at every turn, for me especially, and I'm sure you feel the way, uh, same way, it's, it's become apparent through these past few sermons at every turn that Jesus is letting people know He has the authority to instruct us. He has the authority to hold us to a standard in these areas. He has the authority over these areas of our lives. And so when we come to this passage, nothing has changed in that regard. He still has authority over how we relate to other people. And so he's got a little bit to talk about with that today. So to get started on this first point, what you'll see uh, in these first two verses is this idea of criticize not. You've heard of judge not, but now we're talking about criticize not. And with this idea of criticize not, um, I think you get a better understanding of what these first two verses are, are trying to say. These first two verses, they seem simple. They seem easy. When you talk about it, Jesus just says, judge not that you be not judged. That is what they call a negative command. It's what you don't do. Don't judge unless you want to be judged in the same way. And then verse 2 follows it up and explains what's going on. That negative command, don't judge unless you want to be judged because you will be held to the same standard you hold other people. And that's it. That's all verse 1 and 2. That's it. It's as simple as that. But you read something like that and you say, okay, I get it, but I don't really understand it. We still have a lot of questions for these first two verses. Like, what does it mean to judge? What does it mean that if I judge someone else, someone will judge me? Who is that someone who will judge me? How will they judge me? All of these questions are, are, are crucial, and so we'll just start trying to answer as many as we can. When you talk about this idea of judgment... It's pretty simple. Hasn't really changed a whole lot over the years. It's still the, still the same meaning. And that is, you take facts and you determine, essentially it's like a, a case, right? A, a legal case. You take the facts and you come to a conclusion. You reach an evaluation. That's it. That's all that judging means. The negative context here comes from verses 3 and 4, which we'll see in just a second, uh, 3, 4, and 5. But those are the, the essentially the parable about the speck and the plank. I know you're all familiar with that. That's where the negative context for this comes from, this idea of negative judging, this idea of criticizing. But the idea of judgment in and of itself is simply just taking the facts, looking at them, and reaching a conclusion. Now, you all know that many people who don't read the Bible... Uh, have taken this text in particular, and they use it all the time. They quote it, or at least they paraphrase it, uh, and boil it down to, you can't judge me. That's essentially it. You can't judge me. That means my desires, my motives, my thoughts, my actions, any of it, you can't judge me. While that may be true, uh, this is not, by any means, uh, Jesus's one verse solution to tolerating and accepting all behavior. Um, we take verses out of context regularly. We take one verse, pull it out of context, and say this is what it means, this is what it supports. And a lot of people do that with judgment. You can't judge me. That means you have to accept my attitude, my behaviors, what I do. It's not your place to judge me. God will judge me, but you can't. 
That's true. God will judge you. Uh, but when it comes to those attitudes, when it comes to those uh, actions, this doesn't mean that we have to accept every attitude or action. That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about criticism. It's not talking about discernment. And we're going to see that a little bit uh, later in verse 6. But when we talk about this passage, these first two verses, and you'll see in verse 6, like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about discernment in verses 15 and 16 of the same chapter in a couple of weeks. Brother Jesse will deal with that. This is not talking about the idea of judgment. It's talking about the attitude behind judgment. What is the attitude behind judgment? So if we're just talking about judgment as taking facts, weighing the facts, and reaching a conclusion, nothing wrong with that. But if you're talking about taking judgment as a personal vendetta, a reason to uh, criticize someone else, a reason to point out their flaws, to only focus on the things that they're doing wrong, then in that regard, you're crossing over into what God is telling you not to do. We are not to judge hypocritically. We are not to take someone's actions, whether we understand them or not. We're not to take someone's motives. We're not to take any of these things and judge them critically, hypocritically. We can discern all we want. We'll get there in verse 6. Let me show you what I mean about this idea of this negative context. And let me talk about divine judgment for a little bit. All the way back in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6, we found that as we forgive or do not forgive others, God will judge us. That, that concept carries forward to this passage. When we talk about this idea of judge not lest you be judged, we ask ourselves, we understand judging. It's just weighing the facts, reaching a conclusion. The negative part comes in the, in the parable. We know that we're not supposed to judge hypocritically. But who's going to judge me? If I'm not judging, who will be judging? All the way back in verses 14 and 15, we, we saw in chapter 6 that God will be judging us on how we forgive. God will also be judging us on how we judge. There is an element of divine judgment here. So when people say, you can't judge me, only God can judge, they're exactly right. God will judge. There will be a judgment day. God will handle the judgment. But for us, it's a lot like that unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. The, the master forgives him of this great debt, and he turns around and with his freedom from this great debt, goes out. And meets another servant who owes him money, a much smaller sum. And instead of extending that grace, extending that mercy, extending that forgiveness to this other servant, he doesn't. He grabs him by the throat and he says, you'll pay me my money. It's that same idea with us. We have experienced grace. We have experienced mercy. We have experienced forgiveness from Christ. Yet, too quickly, we are unwilling to pass that on to other people. For us, it's great. Whenever I break God's law, hey, mercy and forgiveness is a great thing to have. I'm happy for it. I honestly don't think of it like that because I'm never that bad. I don't ever do anything like that. Me and God are kind of cool. When I break His law, it's kind of like, oh, it's okay. You can do what you want kind of thing. That's how we feel a lot of the time, that He somehow smirks when it's our shortcoming, when it's our failing, but when it's somebody else, we want the hammer to be brought down. We want them to get everything they deserve. That we want them to be punished to the fullest extent of the law. You've got to think about that. What if, this is verse 2, this is exactly what verse 2 is talking about. 
the same measure being held to both parties. What if God dealt with everyone like that? What if we all got what we deserved? What if we were all punished to the fullest extent of his law? We all deserve death. We're all sinners. None of us are righteous. Not one. What if he dealt with us in that way? He didn't. He didn't choose to. He he chose to deal with us in mercy. And that should inform how we deal with other people. So these first two verses, when you're talking about the idea of judging, you're talking about the idea of the measure being the same. The point is this. Jesus is telling his listeners here, you should not judge other people hypocritically. You should not try to criticize or harp on someone else when you've got the same issue in your own heart. You shouldn't want them punished fully when you weren't punished fully, when you were forgiven, when you were shown mercy and grace, you should be willing to extend that same mercy and grace to other people. Now, when you talk about this idea of standards and this measurement, Romans chapter 2, the first four verses, you can write that reference down. Romans chapter 2, the first four uh, verses, give a great look at what it looks like to have an equal measure. What it looks like to have someone, says in verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Those first four verses are saying this. When you act that way, when you judge hypocritically, when you judge and hold others to a different standard than you hold yourself, two things are happening. One, you're showing that you don't understand God. He's extended mercy and grace to you. You've taken it. And as it says here, you've presumed on the riches. You've taken it and you've misused what he gave you. He gave it to you so that it would lead to repentance, so that it would inform the way that you help other people. So the first thing you're seeing is that you misunderstand who God is. The second thing that you see in these four verses and with this idea of judgment here is that you take the position of God. You were never meant to be another person's judge. That's not your role. That's not your place. So when people say you can't judge me, it's not up to me to judge you. It is God's judgment. It is, and he will judge you. It is up to him because he is a good, fair, just judge. Even more so, he's a merciful judge. He extends mercy to those who don't forgive it. So when you talk about this idea of judgment, you talk about this idea of hypocritical judgment. Jesus is saying this. Don't take God's position as judge and don't hold others to a standard that you wouldn't hold yourself to and that's the thing when you when you think about it we don't struggle with the standard we know the standard is god's law the struggle comes in how we apply it to ourselves and how we apply it to others we apply it unevenly we break the law uh, there's grace for that they break the law why are they still in church why are they still doing this why are they still doing that they need to be you know cast cast out uh, excommunicated whatever we can do to get them out that's what they deserve yet for us we excuse our own sin so this idea here is simply don't judge hypocritically don't take the place of god be willing to focus on mercy and forgiveness and extend that to other people 
it's it's a simple thought in these first two verses. It's simple in the fact that we understand it, but it's not so simple in that we don't live that way. We understand what Scripture has commanded us, yet we don't live that way. So what do we do with this first point? Well, if God is going to measure us according to the same measure that we use for other people, it would be a great thing, a powerful motivation to begin interacting people, interacting with people in a generous way when it comes to love, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to goodness. And again, I'll, I'll reiterate this now and we'll hit it again later. That doesn't mean you tolerate every behavior they do. That doesn't mean you accept everything they do. But in every way that you can, you extend grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Think of how you would want to be judged. Think of how you were judged in their situation. Think of how Christ dealt with you. And let that be first and foremost in your mind. How Christ dealt with me. How He showed mercy and forgiveness to me. How He loved me and sacrificed Himself for me. That motivation should inform how I interact with others. We should think of how we want to be judged in a situation before God because one day we will be. And that's important to remember. Not only is there this idea of judgment, but as I said, there is a parable here. Uh, and what you'll see in this parable is the eye doctor is a hypocrite, uh, which is a strange thing to say, but I think you'll see it. The eye doctor is a hypocrite. So we understand the point that Jesus has made so far. Don't criticize others. Don't judge others by a standard that you would not have yourself judged by. Don't uh, take the place of God in judging others. Because when you act this way, you are showing that you do not understand who he is and how he's interacted with you. But Jesus knew that his audience then and his audience now are flawed people. We need grace. We need mercy. And so he takes his audience and he essentially says, let me show you a picture. Let me give you something that will help you understand and remember this idea. And so he includes this parable to illustrate his point. Now, this parable describes the actions of an unknown disciple and a lot of the you know smart theologians uh, essentially have this idea that there was a, a Jewish leader who told a parable similar to this and that Jesus is taking that parable and reusing it because they would have been familiar with it. And that parable was essentially two brothers working in a carpentry shop. Um, and so it makes sense, certainly. And one of these brothers notices a splinter uh, in the eye of his brother and essentially says, let me get that out for you and turns with his big log plank in his eye and begins to try to get the splinter out of his brother's eye. Now, we laugh at that and rightly so. It's, it's humorous. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to do here. He's trying to give them a picture that one will help them remember and understand, but two shows how ridiculous this behavior is. The behavior that you do every day when you judge someone else hypocritically, when you are uh, so focused on their sin and their life, when you have the same one or maybe worse than your own, this is, this is why it looks so comical, because we do this. It's exaggerated. It's humorous. And that was Jesus' point. Because it's inappropriate to draw attention to someone else's failings when your own are so obvious. When your own are so obvious, how in the world... And this is what makes this so funny. How in the world would you be able to remove a speck from someone's eye when you've got a plank in your own? Maybe 
depending on the, the, the length of the plank, I've got long arms. I might be able to get to an eyeball if the plank like ends here, but I'm probably not going to do my best work. Um, so that carpenter makes for a terrible eye doctor, and he is a hypocrite. Um, so you've got this beam lodged in your eye. It's not possible to help that brother, and it's not very practical. And Jesus is making it clear. This disciple that sees this speck in his brother's eye, as, as noticeable as a log in your eye would seem, he's unaware of his own faults. There are two things I want to say about this. Um, because he says that person that's unaware of their own faults, that criticizes others, he calls them a hypocrite. And we know from, from previous sermons that Brother Jesse has done, he, he described a hypocrite as an actor, someone who plays a part. Um, there are other uh, definitions that talk about someone who's insincere, someone who kind of puts on that mask, as Brother Jesse said. There's one definition that I found, and it literally says a critic who will not criticize himself. Literally, someone who will criticize everything else, everybody else but himself. I think that's a great definition of a hypocrite. And Jesus says, if you are the one with a sin in your life, yet you are focused on the sin in someone else's life, you are a critic who will not criticize yourself. You are a hypocrite. You are using an unequal measure on them and not yourself. And the thing to notice here is that this deception, this, this, the way that he's deceived, it's not always intentional. He's unaware of his sinful condition. Now, I think there are certainly times where people who are judging, criticizing hypocritically are aware of their shortcomings and failings. I think they are intentionally aware of their sin, yet still focusing on someone else. And I think this is why. It makes them feel better to focus on someone else's sin than deal with their own sin. So intentionally they focus on other people's sins. They criticize constantly because when they're focused on someone else, they don't have to focus on their own life. They don't have to work on dealing with their own sin. So I think for them, it's one of those things where I'll just focus on someone else so I don't have to focus on myself. It'll make me feel better. That's what you see with the Pharisees throughout Scripture. That's what they're doing. They're so focused on these outward cleaning uh, type of laws, Right? They're, they're always condemning someone. Oh, he did this on this day, or he didn't wash his hands here, or he said this, or didn't eat this. They're constantly focused on those things because those are things they control. They'll look at that outward stuff and judge everyone else, but they won't look on the inside because, as Jesus says, they clean the outside, they don't clean the inside. So there are people who are very aware of their sin. That plank is not lost on them. Um, they make terrible eye doctors, and they are hypocrites. But I think there is a sense in which People can be uh, unaware of their own sin. You say, how is that possible? Well, uh, what it made me think of was 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. It's a, it's a familiar pas- passage. Uh, it's right after David has committed adultery. And Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and Nathan says, David, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a problem. We've got a thief out here. And he took a goat that wasn't his. Uh, What do you want to do with this thief? And David uh, just instantly goes, I mean, all the way, as as legalistic as you can. He says, we're going to kill the guy, but before we kill him, we're going to make him pay back the cost of this lamb that he stole. And Nathan simply just tells David, you're the man. You're the thief. And instantly, David puts the pieces together. Yes, I am the thief. I stole something that wasn't mine in adultery. I took another man's life. And he starts putting the pieces together. But until that point, David reacted in a way where he was focused on the speck in this other man's eye. He said to himself, look, 
here is a man who has stolen something. He should be punished. He should have to repay something. As much as we can handle, as much as we can do, stealing something wasn't a criminal punishment, yet we're going to kill this guy. I mean, he went all the way to the edge. He was as harsh as he could in judging this man. Yet in his own life, he had done something that many of us would consider far worse and didn't see it. So I think it is possible for us to have a plank, a log in our eye, some sin in our life that we either overlook intentionally or we're unaware of it because it, it, it unintentionally. We're unaware of it. We just don't see it. You say, how can that happen? How can, and of course with this overall theme, this overall point that Jesus is making here, don't hold others to a standard that you're not willing to be judged by. You definitely don't want to do it before you've dealt with the sin in your own life. That, that plank in your own life, he says, he says clearly, yes, you can deal with the speck in a brother's eye, but what you need to do is remove the log in your own first. You need to deal with your own sin first. That's the only way you'll be in a position to help a brother or a sister. So, so that point is, is clear, but how do we function? How do we live our lives with a giant log in our eye and don't even realize it? How can sin go unnoticed in our lives? This is where I think the breakdown comes. We fail to notice sin in our lives when our walk with Christ isn't what it should be. When we have grown apart from Christ, when we have grown apart from the things of Christ, when we quit reading Scripture, when we quit praying, when we quit coming together in fellowship with other Christians, all of the things that we do to grow, all of the things that we do to pursue Christ, when we let those things go for whatever reason, we're busy, we're lazy. I mean, laziness is a big one. We never talk about it, but laziness is huge. I could do it, but I just don't want to. I'm tired. It's one of those things where when we let that relationship slip, all of a sudden there will be sin in our lives that we don't notice. And you say, how does that happen? Well, think about it this way. The only reason that you know what sin is, the only reason that you realize sin is in your life is because God has revealed it to you. Through Scripture, through His standard, through the life of Jesus Christ, He has shown us what sin looks like and He has called us to turn from it and turn toward Him. Now, think about this. Think about that revealing of sin as a mercy. Have you ever thought about that? It is a mercy that God points out the sin in your life. When your relationship with God is not what it should be, that mercy, that pointing out of sin isn't there. That's how you can go through your life with a plank in your eye and not realize it. Your relationship has slipped. There's space. It's not what it once was. There's sin in your life and you don't even realize it because you're not being confronted with the things of God. Scripture isn't showing you where you're failing. Prayer isn't you calling out for your need of God because you don't think you have a need for God. Being in contact with other believers, iron sharpening iron, it's not there. So that sin goes unnoticed. When you talk about the application for the first point, we talked about the idea that we need to remember the mercy that God has shown us. The kindness, the love, the forgiveness that He's shown us. And we need to model that toward other people. We need to keep it in our mind and model it toward other people. Uh, Extend it to other people. When you talk about the application for this second point, when you talk about the point of this parable, the point that Jesus is making, the application for us is to constantly be in pursuit of Christ. Every single day, doing the things that He's called us to do, pursuing Him as closely as we possibly can so that He is drawing out the things in our life that are not like Him. 
He is pointing out daily the areas of our life where we need to draw closer to Him, where we need to kill something, get it out of our lives, no longer pursue it. We're going to miss those things if we're not pursuing Him. But as we pursue Him, those things are going to come out. That log in your eye will become apparent. And listen, I need that mercy. I need that mercy every day. I need Him to show me where I'm failing. I need Him to show me what He has for me, where He wants me to go, how He's going to get me there. I need Him to constantly, constantly help me in every single area of my life in pursuing Him and drawing close to Him. When He does point out failings in my life, I need His strength to ask for forgiveness, to come to Him and say, I know I've messed this up. I need Your forgiveness. I need the assurance of Your forgiveness. And I need Your help in moving away from this, whatever it is. With His other people, interacting with other people in a way that shows them mercy and forgiveness and grace, I need His help with that as well. I need the Holy Spirit to strengthen me to do those things because honestly... I can judge people hypocritically in my own strength. I don't need the Holy Spirit for that. I can do that myself. I'm pretty good at it. Ask Jess. She's been in the car enough to see me in traffic. I, I, don't, I don't need help with that. I've got that covered. But I do need His help in relating to other people in the way that I should. In pursuing Him in the way that I should. And in seeing Him in, as who He really is. He is the perfect judge. He is merciful. He is gracious. He has extended that to me. He loves me and has called me to something. And he's gracious enough to point out my failings. And we'll talk about this in a minute. But love is not tolerating or accepting bad behavior. A lot of kids, I remember I used to think this. Why do they have to get on to me? Why can't I just do this? It's not hurting anybody. The thing is, they loved me enough to discipline me. The same thing is true for God. It is a mercy when He points out flaws in your life because He loves you. He wants to discipline you so that you grow in His likeness, so that you are closer to Him in a relationship, but also a better example for Him to other people, pursuing Him in the way He should. So it's a mercy that He points out that uh, that failing. So we need that mercy. We need Him to point out the log in our eye. And once that log is out of our eye, we need His help, His wisdom, His discernment in how to interact with other people. To deal with that speck in other people's eye. Because he, as we'll see in verse 6 in just a second, he doesn't call us to make no discernment at all. He doesn't call us to take no action at all. That's, that's the risk here. That's the risk in all of this. Is this deception. This self-deception. This unwillingness to judge, to be seen as judging someone else. All of a sudden we take no action. It's exactly what people have, have essentially put out with their paraphrase of, of, you can't judge me, only God can judge. Okay, I don't want to judge you. I, I don't want to call out your behavior that is against what the gospel calls you to. I don't want to call out this shortcoming in your life because I don't want to be seen as a judge. Or maybe because I don't, I'm not even sure what's in my own life. That That is the reason people don't practice discernment. Getting into point three a little early, but we're just going to roll with it. The reason people don't practice discernment is this. There are several reasons, but here are a couple. One, I was thinking about this this morning. People don't know the Word of God. How can I point out when a behavior is wrong, when a teaching is wrong, when something is wrong, when it's against God, when I don't even know what God has said in His Word, when I don't even know what God has called me to? That's one reason we don't practice discernment. Is this behavior they're doing okay? Is it not okay? I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not going to say anything to them because I don't know. We don't know Scripture well enough to, to do that. Another reason we don't practice it is because, as I said, we don't want to be seen as 
as bigoted or mean or whatever the culture will label us as when we take a stand on an issue and say, this is what God calls us to. This is what God calls you to. This is the standard. This is what we're trying to pursue. We're not perfect, but he's helping us to pursue that standard. We're calling you to join us. Pursue that standard as well. Well, you're a racist. You're a bigot. You're this. You're that. Whatever they call us when we take a stand on an issue. It's one of those things where that drives us away from wanting to be discerning. It drives us away from wanting to genuinely help someone. To show them a struggle in their life that they may be blind to, that maybe we've went through, that we've come through. So that's why I labeled point three, discernment is different. Discernment is different. He's told us not to criticize in those first two verses, and he showed us how foolish it looks in the parable uh, in verses 3, 4, and 5. But then verse 6 comes along, and this language here in verse 6 makes us stop and ask, what does this have to do with what we've been talking about? What is a dog and holy things and swine and pearls have to do with anything about judgment? About, I mean, it's one of those things, if you've ever read this passage, you're on board with the judgment thing. Okay, I get it. I shouldn't be judging. I shouldn't be critical. I shouldn't be hypocritical because I've got stuff in my own life. I get it. Now, what is this stuff with dogs? What is this stuff with pigs? This verse actually has a great deal to do with what God is doing. Let me show you how. Believe it or not, there's a, there's a lot here. These dogs that are mentioned are not necessarily like dogs that you would think. Jess and I recently got a puppy. Uh, we are learning a lot on the parenting front. Uh, different, different parenting styles, even with the puppy. Um, and so we're learning a lot on that front. But puppies, if, if, you've seen, if you've seen ours, they're not all fluffy and cute like him. Uh, dogs in this day were actually hated. Uh, and there were several reasons why. One was because they were often wild. They were diseased. They would attack you for food. And they were considered unclean by the Jewish people. The same thing uh, that's said about dogs is, is essentially can be said about pigs. No, we don't have a pet pig. I don't think we ever will. Uh, and the Jews didn't have pet pigs either. They didn't eat pork, so there was no need to farm or domesticate a pig. So they thought pigs were unclean as well. So why would you take something of great value? Why would you take something that's holy and give it to a dog or a pig? You wouldn't. That's the point. These holy things that they're talking about, more often than not, it's probably the meat that was sacrificed as an offering at one of the um, atonement ceremonies. So you're talking about meat that was offered to God, meat that the priest would have had, meat that your family would have been given. You're not going to give something that was offered to God or a priest or your family to an unclean wild dog. Same thing is true with the pearls and swine. You can picture someone out there with wild boars just running around and they're tossing out strings of pearls out there and the pigs being wild instantly go to eat it. And as they begin to chew it, they say to themselves, we can't chew this up. What is this? They spit it out. They turn on the person who threw down the pearls and they eat the person who threw down the pearls. So what does all this have to say to what we're talking about? This is it. Jesus is saying this. I've called you not to criticize. I've called you not to judge in a hypocritical way, but I am not telling you by any means to go all the way to one end of this and not use any kind of discernment, any kind of judgment at all. He's saying there are wild dogs and wild pigs and there are things of great value in the gospel and you should not be throwing them 
to these wild pigs, these wild dogs. There are some things that need to be handled with care and don't need to be wasted on people who are going to reject or attack them. You have to use discernment in those instances. Now, for us, this sounds kind of weird because it's like, wait a second. Is Jesus saying that there are certain people we don't present the gospel to? Not at all. He does, he does say this. He's making it clear that they're going to be people. And he says this uh, in several places throughout Scripture. Uh, the one that comes to mind uh, for me is Matthew 10, 14, when he sends the disciples out. He commissions the disciples, he sends them out, and he says this. He says, if someone rejects you, if someone attacks you, if someone ridicules the truth of the gospel, you dust your feet off and you go somewhere else. We have to be discerning when we present the gospel. Are we presenting the gospel to someone who is struggling with the truth of the gospel? Are we presenting the gospel to someone who is so hardened that they will ridicule and attack us? Because essentially Jesus is saying here, use discernment. If it's someone who's struggling with the truth of the gospel, continue to present the gospel to them. There are reasons that people struggle with the truth of the gospel. You're telling me I need someone else to call the shots in my life? I have to give up control? I've got to let God handle issues in my life? I don't know if I can do that. Wait, you're saying that all the things that I've ever done in my life, all the horrible things that only I know about can be forgiven if I just trust Him? If I just put my faith in Him, if I just believe in Him, I don't understand that. How is that possible? There are reasons people struggle with the gospel. But then there are other people who will intentionally try to blaspheme the gospel, who will try to attack you for your beliefs. And essentially, Jesus is saying here, you've got to discern between the two. You've got to use wisdom to decide, is this someone who is going to potentially accept the gospel, or is this someone who's going to make a mockery of it? who's so hardened that they're going to blaspheme God, they're going to attack me. Because if that's the case, I just need to dust my feet off and pray that the Spirit does something great in them because I'm not getting anywhere with them. And honestly, there are a lot more people I could be sharing the gospel with. We have to be discerning in that regard. I think we also have to be discerning within the church. There are brothers and sisters within the church body that need correction. We have to be discerning on how we approach them. That's exactly what passages like Matthew 13 and Matthew 18 are talking about. He says in Matthew 13, when he talks about the parable of, of the wheat, uh, 24 through 30, he says essentially, look, wheat and tares are going to grow up next to each other. He says, but we're not going to try to harvest them too early. We'll just wait till they're fully grown. We'll cut them all down and we'll separate them then. It's essentially Jesus saying there's going to be a day. Real believers and fake believers, they're going to grow up alongside each other. And one day he's going to sort them out. But until then, we have to be discerning on who is and who is not uh, pursuing Christ in the way they should be. We, we are discerning in this way. Is someone trying to mislead someone with their own version of teaching? Are they trying to mislead someone by giving them their own thoughts? Instead of what God has called them to. We have to be discerning. We can't let people like that take over the church. I think you see that in a lot of other denominations. It's occurring in a lot of denominations. People have been placed in positions of authority that should not have been there. And now they're, they're peddling their own brand of gospel that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And people are believing it. People are accepting it simply because someone in a position of authority, authority says it. Jesus is saying you need to be discerning on who is and who is not in the body. 
not only who is and is not willing and ready to accept the gospel or who's going to blaspheme God, but who in the body is a real believer or is not a real believer? Are they a threat to the body? In this way, again, correction. Are we willing to go to a brother? This is Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Are you willing to go to a brother and sister in love and say, look, I see an issue in your life. We don't want to because of the first five verses of this. The first five verses of this, we don't want to because we don't want to seem judgmental. We don't want to seem like we're in their business. We don't want to seem like uh, we haven't struggled with the same thing before. We don't want to seem hypocritical, so we don't confront them at all. And their behavior continues to grow and grow and grow until it's a real issue, until it comes to light, until uh, the church is somehow hurt by it. There has to be a certain level of discernment on our part to go to that brother or sister in love and say, I've noticed this. Are you willing to pursue correction? Are you willing to pursue repentance? Are you willing to pursue what whatever the church has for you as far as discipline goes? We're not willing to do that because we don't want to seem judgmental. Jesus is saying here with this sixth verse, they are holy things and you have to handle them well. And there are people out there who are trying to take advantage of these holy things. You need to discern what is and is not acceptable in regards to that. Now, I say all that to say this. When you talk about discernment, you need the Holy Spirit to help you with discernment. I cannot, on my own abilities, ever judge someone in a way that is just or fair or right. More often than not, I'll be unjust, I'll be harsh, I'll hold them to a higher standard than I hold myself, I'll be mean, I'll be critical, it won't be loving. You need the Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom and guidance and discernment in how to handle these issues. You also need the Holy Spirit to help that person who's receiving correction or who is a false believer or who is going to blaspheme and attack the gospel. need the Holy Spirit to impact them, to change their lives and their hearts. So overall, with these three points behind us in this text uh, explained, what are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to judge in a way that isn't critical, but that is discerning, that is wise? How do we do that? If we're honest with ourselves, this is difficult. If we're honest with ourselves, we've failed at just about every point of this. Whether it be how we judge others, Uh, not noticing the sin that's in our own lives, not willing to discern, not willing to support a brother or sister to to help them bear their burden. We failed in, in just about every aspect of this. So what do we do? I think it goes back to that second point. And I think we have to focus on the mercy of Christ. We have to have that concept at the forefront of our minds. So much so that it informs how we view other people. When I see another person, I don't see what I think about them. I don't see my critical, hypocritical, harsh judgment of them. But I see someone who is loved and valued by Christ. Someone who is being pursued by Christ just like I am. Someone who is loved by Christ just like I am. And His love and His mercy and His forgiveness that I've experienced should be something that I'm willing to show that other person, to extend to that other person, no matter what I think. Because that's the thing. We'll, we'll jump to a quick judgment. We'll judge motives before we know the whole story. But are we willing to take time 
and extend the grace of God to other people. Because that same measure that we extend to people will be extended to us. So do you want to be harsh and critical? Do you want to do it by the book and go all legalistic and full judgment and get what you deserve? Because if that's the way you want to do it, that's the way you'll be judged. And no one can stand up to that type of judgment. But if you're willing to extend mercy and grace, if you're willing to say, this is what Christ has done for me, this is how Christ has interacted with me, I want to interact in the same way with other people. If you're willing to extend that to people, your judgment will be much different. We've got to keep that mindset of Christ, that mercy that He's extended at the forefront of our minds. We need it every day. It's not just a salvation issue. It's not just the fact that I need Him to show me who He is and how merciful and loving He is in the first day that I've been saved. I need it at every point along the way. I need it every day in every interaction with people. I need it to discern what God would have me to do in relationships with other people. I need it at every point. You say, well, how, how do I get that discernment? How do I get that, that guidance? Well, if you've never been a believer, if that relationship's non-existent, you just trust in Him. It's that simple. Tell Him your need of Him. Tell Him that you realize that you've run your life your way and it's not working. That you want to trust every area of your life to Him and that you need, your help, do, you need help doing that. And He'll help you with that. But if you are a believer and you say, you know what, I just don't feel like I have that level of discernment. I just don't feel like I have that mindset that's focused on the mercy of Christ. That may be because that relationship with Christ has wavered or waned in some way. It may be the fact that you've grown apart from Him, and because you've grown apart from Him, other things have taken that place. Other things have crept into your life that you may not even be aware of. For you, I would encourage you to make that right. Come to Him and say, I want that level of discernment, but I understand that there are things in my life that shouldn't be there, that are keeping me from being discerning, that are keeping me from being wise, that are keeping me from listening to your Holy Spirit. Remove those things from my life and help me learn to do this. I realize that whenever I judge people, I do it harshly and unjustly and too quickly. And I want the worst for them, but I want the best for me. Help me to focus on your mercy. Remove whatever it is in my life, whatever anger or hate or whatever is in my life. Remove that so that I can pursue this. That's all you have to do. Express your need of Him, whether it be the first time or the thousandth time. Come to Him and let Him know you need Him. You need that wisdom. You need that mercy. You need that relationship. And he, He'll answer. He will meet you where you're at, and He will give you what you need. So with that being said, as the musicians come forward, I just want to challenge you guys. In this time, take the truth of this message and let it sink in. I know we've covered a lot in six verses, but ultimately you have to let God know your need for Him. If you need to be strengthened, if you need that wisdom and discernment, whatever it is, He can give it to you. So the challenge, what you do with this is simply this. Examine yourself. Take note of where you are. Take note of how you interact with people. What does it look like? Is it harsh? Is it judgmental? Is it forgiving? Is it merciful? Think of how you discern what to do in your own life and how to help others. Is there any sort of discernment there? Are you making any effort 
you pursue wisdom and what he would have, or are you just letting it go? Because I'm afraid that's what's happened. I'm afraid that's what happened. Let me share this quote with you, and then we'll pray. Theologian named Martin Lloyd Jones says this If our Lord had finished teaching with those first five verses, it would have undoubtedly led to a false position. Men and women would be so careful to avoid the terrible danger of judging in that wrong sense that they would exercise no discrimination, no judgment whatsoever. There would be no such thing as discipline in the church, and the whole of the Christian life would be chaotic. There would be no such thing as exposing heresy and pronouncing judgment with regard to it. Everybody would be so afraid of judging the heretic that they would turn a blind eye to the heresy. And error would come into the church more than it has done. So many people show a lack of discrimination and are ready to praise and recommend anything that is put before them which vaguely claims the Christian name. In our interactions with people, in our interactions with non-believers, in our interactions within this church, we have failed to show discrimination. We have failed to say, God, what would you have us do? What would you have us say? What stand would you have us make? And instead, we've just said, whatever vaguely seems right. We're showing no discernment, no discrimination. In this place, outside of this place, there's no mercy, there's no forgiveness in our interactions. We need we need our relationship with God to become so focused on Him and who He is and what He has done that it affects the way we live. My fear is that we know it, we're not doing it. There's a gap between what I know and how I live. I know I shouldn't judge. I know I shouldn't let people just run wild in the church to say whatever they want to say and pass it off as God's will or, or whatever the case may be. I know those things. But I'm not doing anything in relation to those things. So the challenge here today is think through your relationship. Examine yourself and see where you stand on this issue as we sing, as we pray.